0: Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers House of Commons, your one-stop shop for all things competitive and at the common rarity Chev. How you doing?
1: Doing pretty good, Julian. This comes out, you know, a week after some of these events, but I am freaking loving the Brothers War story. There are some really cool ideas that we're bringing in kind of seeing the war from another perspective and from both sides that makes it really interesting. And today we got the entire spoiler for the Magic Thirty Advent Calendar, and it does not disappoint. So all in all, feeling great about the game, feeling great about myself. Pretty good Monday.
0: I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Yeah. By the time people are listening to this, we might uh, we might be fully fledged in Brothers War spoilers. So remember to uh, we'll be in the trenches. Enjoy that respite.
1: That's a that's a Brothers War joke for you.
0: Is it? Because they're
1: they they do they back do, do some trenches. Yes.
0: Anyway, we have a lot to talk about, as we usually do. Pretty stacked lineup. Uh, Going to discuss, of course. Had another PDC matchup this week <laughs> in the league. Uh, we've got a deck of the week, of course. Got some community content to talk about, but I think it's only right that we get into the spirit of the season, Ooh. as today is Halloween. Happy,
1: happy Halloween, everyone! Those of you who aren't out trick or treating,
0: I finally reached it, uh, like adulthood. Uh, one of my friends has a house and like lives in a, a proper mm-hmm. neighborhood. So uh, on Halloween, on, on this evening, in fact, <laughs> we're going to go to her house and uh, we're actually going to give out candy to all the oh, little kids who are trick-or-treating. How wholesome. We've come full circle.
1: I feel like there should be an activity for adults who aren't quite at that stage but still want to dress up and it's a bar crawl. But every time you go to a bar, you have to say trick-or-treat and they give you a little a nib. I think that would be fun. That's our That's our business idea of the week.
0: When I run for mayor and I have to do like... You know, like the, you know, how people, they always have like campaign these promises, where, like, oh, like let's promote the city or like, let's do this. I'll be like, listen, promise number one,
1: <laughs> lower taxes, promise number two, though,
0: Halloween bar crawl. Let's go.
1: So kind of uh, taking Halloween back to to magic, because we we are technically a magic uh, podcast. That's what it says on our taxes. For real, Julian, oh. I have a I have a bit of a question for you. In light of the season, what are some of the the spookiest cards You've seen in CPDH and some of our recent games, interpret how you will.
0: There's a few different ways you can interpret this, but I think, I think the first one I have to do, which we'll, we'll discuss when we get to our community content of the week, is um, ever since Dargo Shipwrecker was printed, <laughs> that man has been spooky as all heck, even though he looks like a total goon. True. In whatever iteration we've seen him, whether it's paired with Malcolm, whether it's paired with Kedis, whether it's paired right. with Keskit, every time he is just always a looming threat. And not so much a looming threat, is in usually it's turn three, and they're like, okay, now I cast Dargo. Insert the meme, your mother effing life ends one turn from now. like And he always comes back. Yes. That's the thing, right? He never yep. stays dead, just like all the great horror villains, yep. and he's always causing problems. <laughs>
1: and, you know, he's themed after a classic Halloween costume, the pirate. Dargo is kind of one of those things, um, I don't know how many Brian Regan fans there are out there, but uh, he has a bit about cranberry juice. And how whoever markets cranberries must be making a mint because there's cran apple, there's cran grape, there's cran orange, there's all these cranberry juices. And at this point, that's what Dargo has kind of become. You got a new partner, you're going to try it with Dargo. Bringing back to the horror villains, you've got Freddy X Jason trying all these different combos with the different horror villains, see which ones stick, Alien versus Predator. But in the Magic Universe, it's everyone X Dargo.
0: It's just reminding me of, like, you know you know how people are like, oh, like, I'm, I'm shipping. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm shipping Chandra with Nyssa, and I'm like, bro, I'm shipping Dargo with everyone. Literally, anyway,
1: very compatible. <laughs> Chev, do you have a spooky card? <laughs> Something that's been giving you the real heebie-jeebies lately? <laughs> Fleshbag Marauder. In all formats, I've really come back around on the Sacky Boys, whether it be Plague Crafter, whether it be, I think Plague Lighter is one of the the recent ones, or something lighter, but Fleshbag Marauder Mm -hmm. is one of the classics and really causes more damage than you'd expect every time you see them, especially in PDH where you do usually end up in board states where people's only creatures are their commanders. I know I've successfully cast Fleshbag in multiple games with um, Brad of the PDH Pod on the Monday Night Streams, and every time it's terrifying, and every time you have to look at that literal flesh bag of art, you realize why body horror might not be your favorite type of horror movie.
0: Fleshbag hits both accesses, uh, axes in that not only is it just always disgusting uh, all iterations of their art, um, but also fleshbag is not only one card but really like eight cards. Yes. So you always have to fear the quote unquote fleshbag. And yes, uh, we've talked about how edicts can really ruin a lot of a lot of people's days. So another card that I think is super spooky and uh, hasn't super come up in games that you and I have played mm-hmm. recently it looks like it might be starting to take a. a a bit of a backseat in the format, but I think people need to still be plenty scared of everyone's favorite four man enchantment pestilence. <laughs> uh, I think yep. once, once this thing comes down, right, it's just kind of sitting there and, and hanging out, right. It's like, it's like the spooky eyes that you just kind of see watching you through the window. Right. It's always there. It's always, as soon as that's down, we're playing a different game. Yes. Now we're running from the killer. We're trying, we're playing hide and seek or whatever. Um, and it really uh, can, be so potent uh, in any sort of deck that's trying to control the board. Um, so, yeah. Also, the art on it is is just is just disgusting. They're all they're all <laughs> It's rough. just,
1: and I I think yeah. what is truly spooky too is an interaction that I need to add to the Primaris Chaplain deck that I played on stream uh, a couple weeks back. Primaris Chaplain is the black white uncommon creature from the Warhammer decks that gets indestructible while it's attacking. I mm-hmm. believe it was Common Commander, or it might have been. Scarecrow, over on Twitter, told me about the interaction with Pestilence out and during your attack with Primaris Chaplain. Because while it's attacking, it's indestructible. Just keep dealing one damage. You can wipe the entire board while your creature stays alive. And it is oh, a 4-4, four wow. four, so it's not exactly a small creature, but that was something I heard. Absolutely dreadful. I want to do it.
0: That's a sick interaction. And then, of course, if we're moving towards anything Voltron-y, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have any blockers anymore, so it doesn't matter. Nope. You know.
1: Oh, beautiful.
0: That's a that's sick. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, <laughs> you got one more card that you've been <sighs>
1: spooked by. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of cards I've been spooked by. Unless maybe you've been doing the spooking. <laughs> I feel like we gotta we we're, we're going back to a folk magic on this one. Sater Enchanter. It's currently off the database. It needs to get back on the database. Someone put it on the database. If someone doesn't, it'll be me. Sater Enchanters value is just so high. That when it gets going, I'm sure we'll talk about it more in, in the video of the week, it is a truly terrifying goat man. I've never been more scared of a goat or of a man than when I'm sitting across from Seder Enchanter.
0: From an art perspective and from a cultural perspective, right, it's, it's spooky less so much in that they a like, uh, oh, this can cause me like immediate grievous harm or like, oh, I don't like blood and guts. It, it's more of one of those weird spooks where it's just like, this doesn't, it's unsettling. It's like, this doesn't feel right. right. I don't, I don't like looking at this, right? Uh, but from from a gameplay perspective, uh, it's more just like play a one-mana aura, mm-hmm. draw a card. Play a two-mana aura, draw a card. And that loop, which we'll talk about in a second, <laughs> is scary. Ugh. It's almost similar to something like a Tatiovo, which I know it still gives you the heebie-jeebies as gives well. Gives me nightmares. Speaking of Satan Enchanter, we have some community content for the week. And uh, I think, to no one's surprise... We're highlighting another Tryhards video in which Clay piloted Sator Enchanter versus Yami on a Rebek and techic. Uh, Gator Bait was on Dargo and Kettis, another very spooky combo. And lastly, uh, Zanzibar Hotcake, which I have to say, just a stellar screen game. <laughs> So good.
1: We don't see as many of them anymore, so it, the good ones really give you pause.
0: Uh, was on Sir Conrad, uh, specifically the rats version, which was brewed by Clay.
1: This was a recent, I think it came out over this past weekend. Really cool gameplay. Uh, I believe everyone was trying to focus more on speed and kind of keeping things moving efficiently, quickly. And while it did lead to some changes in gameplay and maybe some missed things, uh, which we'll get into in another minute, it was cool and interesting to see kind of that focus on speed. You know, as a playgroup, we've talked about that sometimes Commander can get a little dirtily, a little paused. This also helped that no one was playing blue in this pod, uh, so there was was less need to kind of pause. You weren't going to be countering any spells. But overall, it was a a very interesting, a very cool game with basically every player removed in an interesting way that affected the game throughout.
0: Yeah, for sure. They were kind of discussing how there's been discussions on their server, Mm -hmm. and they've just been kind of trying to, you know, throughout the various metas in in CPDH, uh, the various you know pods and stuff, um, kind of conducting this social experiment of... um, you know, we are a format about being as competitive as, and as efficient, and let's put our money where our mouth is, yeah. and, and really try and move through this thing uh, uh, swiftly and efficiently. We talked about the decks: uh, three known quantities, right? Sir Conrad is uh, on the database. Dargo Ketis is on the database, and Sator Enchanter should be on the database. Was on the database. We we know is a powerful deck, um, and then uh, a spicy spicy brew in the uh, the Rebek in the each techic which is um, definitely something that I'd like to see a little bit uh, more from. Uh, and like you said, no blue, and also two Silesnia Silesnia decks. Rebecca being uh, the white partner from OG Commander Legends. Mm-hmm. That's your artifacts have protection from the converted mana cost of your artifacts, and then each techik gives uh, gives plus one plus one counters whenever artifacts enter or leave, roughly. Right,
1: ETB make a golem, and then whenever an artifact is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, put a one one counter on ichtechik and a 1-1 counter on each golem. It's basically bringing a friend to the party, and they both get bigger with every kind of sacked little permanent you've got.
0: It was a swift but uh, interesting game. Ultimately, we had um, the rats take it down. The Rat King, Sir Conrad. Um, but there were quite a few interesting and cool plays along the way. I will say it was kind of a surprise that the rats were able to take it down, uh, mostly because... On turn four or five, yes. uh, they decided that they wanted to swing their rats out at the Dargo player, who was, of course, doing Dargo things, so I, I understand how that might have been, felt threatening. And the Dargo player overloaded uh to completely wipe <laughs> the board, which was, uh, you know, I felt bad. At that point, I was like, ah, it's, it's, it's a sad day to be a rat player.
1: <laughs> Electricery is the kind of card you always look at and you're like, this seems like it'd be super powerful, but I never wanted to put a slot to it. And I think that was something that Gatorbait mentioned. The reason that they ended up putting Electricary in the deck was how many times they lose combat by like a single point or something like that. And thinking, you know, if we can just sneak in this one one damage, that can do a lot across the board. But it is, <laughs> it can be very uh, potent against X-1s, which the, the Dominaria rats have the unfortunate uh, fate of being
0: yeah electricity is one of those ones where i definitely think it's more of a your personal meta mm-hmm. consideration there's a bunch of those cards that deal like one damage to all creatures or something and i think it uh it definitely kind of depends on your meta but as as we saw here it was the right call
1: yeah if you're worried about rats bring bring fire or electricity i guess <laughs> zap them um,
0: we were talking about Seder enchanter earlier and one of the big turns was uh clay went uh reprobation To, uh, you know, kind of neuter uh, one of the creatures on board. I believe he targeted each techic. Then went the white cartouche. uh, Then went ethereal armor, then hyena umbra, and then rancor. And you've got to remember all of these are giving him another card in hand. And most of these are one or two mana. So uh, that was kind of where I was like, oh right, satyr enchanter, I I have chills. Yeah. He put everything on the enchanter and actually was able to deal lethal damage, a full 17 commander knocking Gator, the Dargo player, out of the game, uh, which is pretty solid because that Kedis dealt a, a ton of damage. I want to say, like, maybe 14, 15 damage, uh, because, of course, whenever a commander you control deals damage to an opponent, deals that much damage to each other opponent. Well, when you've got a Dargo attacking in, uh, he's a big boy, so uh, we were kind of chopping the entire table down uh, with each swing of Dargo, and it was getting a little dangerous, so we, we knocked uh, Dargo Kedis out with the Seder Enchanter, which led to sort of an interesting little part of the social experience, yes. I suppose. W- what happened now that uh, Clay put the shields down?
1: Well, in going for that, that aggressive swing, it, it led him open to the the crackback from the uh, Iktekic player, who I think had pro 0 and pro 1 at the time due to uh, Rebecca's ability. So all, the rest of Clay's board could not block the creatures of the Rebecca and Iktekic player, uh, Yami. So it kind of it, it was past the point of combat but i believe it was gator Bait asked yami why they didn't go for the kill against clay and yami had misread the board or misunderstood i think i think it was a group of auras that they thought were creatures or something they thought the board was bigger than uh it actually was and so they didn't go in for the attack and clay kind of used that as a, a teachable moment claiming that it was it was his fault for not foreseeing that there could be a crackback and allowing yami to kind of take that delayed combat step and it was a really interesting moment in terms of you know you're going faster you're, you're less likely to think about all these things but i'm very confident that that moment will live with clay for a long time of making sure yes something might look appealing for a a brutal alpha strike but what does that leave me open to kind of going forward and so he'll certainly take that to the bank as a Uh, teachable moment and Yami probably will too as a (laughs) reading the board state better but it was very cool and then seeing protection kind of really decide a player's fate was also not something we've seen in recent magic so that was a a really cool moment too that kind of reminds you when you're playing a Voltron deck it can be very easy to swing and see those big numbers go down but you're usually leaving yourself more open than uh, other players do when they have one or two value creatures swinging and one or two still left behind.
0: Yeah, and as I was saying with the Kedis, everyone was less than ten life, you know, sub ten life. And um, Ishtekic, uh even though I, would, I really would like to see that deck list and kind of see what we're what we're working with, mm-hmm. once you kind of can get to the mid game, generating a bunch of those big golems and then you know being able to pile the counters on is certainly yeah powerful you know as we talk about a lot of the creatures in pdh especially but especially cpdh are are not that big
1: probably in the mid game you've got what mana cost of artifacts zero through five which is going to cover essentially every spell in in the book
0: so after that exchange uh we come back around to um (laughs) we come back around to sir conrad with his his merry band of rats Uh, sir conrad was played just just the previous turn there was an interesting little (laughs) interaction that that led to uh, the end of the game so Kirk Sir Connor is on the field of course um, So we're we're gonna go for an echo ring return. There's four rats in the grave We're gonna target uh, that rat and and say we want to bring all those back uh, in response the each tech player Yami uh, Sacrifices their jack-o'-lantern to exile the targeted rat which would then cause the spell to fizzle Which I think is just hilarious that is and then in response to that <laughs> Zanzibar hotcakes with the rats uh, in response to that exile, instant speed Grave Purge, which is put as many creatures as you want mm-hmm. on top of your library draw a card. But of course, like I said, we have four rats. That's going to be four damage. And so conveniently, uh, Yami is at four life. So all, all in the stack right there. But I really love that little exchange. I thought that was... Yeah, uh, that was really cool. Very clever from both sides. It,
1: it especially, uh, it felt like Zanzibar was kind of holding a little bit back uh, when I watched it the first time. Because you know playing Echoing Return and Yami was like, wait a minute. I have my, my jack-o'-lantern now. And then it was just confirming, right, because we'd already had the the uh, go-between between Yami and Clay for not really reading a board state. Yami was kind of like, you know, I have this this jack-o'-lantern in clear view kind of leaning towards, are you sure that's something you want to do? At which point Zanzibar was like, uh, y- yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go through with it anyway. Uh, and I, I feel like this might not have been intended, but I was reading that as like, oh, playing a little politically, like, you know, oh, maybe pretending that, You already saw me cast it, so I'm going to cast it for the good of the game or whatever. Baiting the use of jack-o'-lantern to then use a second card. Still was a very cool interaction to see all of that happening on the stack and getting in for that, that lethal swing. Lethal ping, I should say. Just goes
0: to show how quickly, once Sir Conrad comes down, how quickly he can kill once he comes down, and also just how any little thing can all of a sudden start yes. to really rack up damage, even if it's just a single, you know, grave purge or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's really kind of like what we talked about with the rat deck too, which was the rats are important, but these are the rats that are built to die. You know, they, they dominate the early game by being big until people have enough forces to kind of deal with them. But then you've got a graveyard full of rats and a commander that loves a full graveyard. So it's kind of like the the two eras of the rat, de- rat deck. The first one, overwhelming the the game with the plague, and then the second one, the plague doctor comes and kills everyone anyway.
0: All right, Chubb. let's talk about the PDC match of the week, and let's make this quick because uh, not gonna lie, you boycott <laughs> another L. Oh no, not feeling too hot about All right. it. Give it, get. Give- <laughs> so I'm 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 a clean 500. I'm three and three, but uh, you know I was I was riding that high. And I uh, was hoping I was going to extend it. But I will say, I, I do think I had my, my matchups were not in my favor this week. I was playing against The Nun, Ooh. which is a, an interesting screen name. Gold,
1: but it seemed to pay off for them.
0: Uh, <laughs> one of the people who was actually uh, organizing this whole event. So much appreciation to uh, them for making uh, making sure everything is running smoothly. They were on Crackling Drake. <laughs> that might be a creature you're familiar with.
1: Yeah. So I guess it's in, as good in uh, PDC as it is in CPDH.
0: Yes, uh, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll get to some takeaways later. But yeah, I was seeing a, a lot of CPDH sort of things in in this uh, in this sort of list. The nun is actually from the Philippines, so we had to schedule quite the time difference. I was up very early today to play this game, so. You know what? I blame it on the lack of sleep. I wasn't I wasn't mm-hmm. fully awake yet. I didn't have all my wits about me. You know, that, that must have been it. Quick quick 0-2 for me. Game 1. We actually both kept 7. Wow, crazy. No mulligans. But uh, really, the whole these whole matches, it, it always was uh, similar to Sprite Dragon. It was the nun being very methodical about when they're going to play the Sprite, or when they're going to play Crackling Drake, and then me mm-hmm. always attempting to answer it. Now, unfortunately, in my burn deck, uh, something having 4 to, toughness yeah. is problematic. Now, I will say, shout out to a card that when I drew it, I was like, why is this in here? And then I was like, oh wait, it's the perfect counter. Uh, that is Thunderbolt, aka um, everyone's favorite uh, electric-type Pokemon move, um, which deals either three damage to a tar- uh, player or a Planeswalker or four damage Ooh. to a creature with flying. So I was able to actually just cleanly remove the uh, Crackling Drake the first time with the Thunderbolt, which was pretty sick, um, but as you might, might have guessed, that was not enough. Similar to that Sprite Dragon list, um, a lot of Mana Rocks and a lot of lands. Uh, the Nun was always hitting their land drops. Because of that, they were able to actually uh, just give give the old cycle or the old channel on P- Mirishal Crab uh, <laughs> on my Gelectrode one time, which really sucked. That was the, uh, d- once again, counter spells. I haven't quite reconciled the fact that my things just aren't going to uh, resolve. And very similar to the uh, Sprite Dragon. Every time I need to kill the Crackling Drake, every time it comes down, uh, I'm just expending way too many resources. Usually it's going to be at least two cards um, on my end. And the fact that, once again, he has... Uh, Counter spells, um, or a lot of a lot of yeah, bounce spells, yeah. really. Uh, a lot of spells that will bounce Crackling Drake back to the hand, and since Crackling Drake draws a card on ETB, I was using up a lot of the resources in my hand, and the nun was staying pretty strapped. Also, game one, I uh, played Pristine Talisman, which is the mana rock that yep. when every t- whenever you tap it, you gain a life. I was like, I don't <laughs> think I can beat that. Between that, between things like Withdraw and Jilt, which are all forms of bounce, uh, allowing them to uh, save the Crackling Drake, Um, and then even Raven-forming my Gelectrode. You hate to see it. (laughs) It was rough. I I was not able to get past the Crackling Drake, and even though it took a bit for the Nun's engine to get online, um, I just... Couldn't stick a Gelectrode, and I also was not able to find uh, any of my other pingers. So uh, they were able to pretty handily uh, close that game out. Another thing, we were talking about kind of similarities to CPDH. Not only were they crackling draking, uh, not only were they um, on uh, you know, some good mana rocks. Like, uh, I saw some Bomber's mm-hmm. Ornaments in there as well. Transmuting a Dizzy spell for uh, a card that, I don't know if you know this one, called Curfew. Each player returns a creature oh, to their hand. Yes. Yeah. Pretty good when you need to not only save mm-hmm. Crackling Drake, but also yep. remove my deletrode. Like the
1: run away together at home. <laughs> yes. In this, it works, right? And I, I think in a few other decks too, we, we might even get into that a little bit later.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because Curfew is all players... But they get to choose. But it's also only mm-hmm. one blue mana. So kind of, I, I say, I, I think it's something like this, a, a 1v1, especially in playing against a deck like mine that has so few creatures, uh, it's, a, it's a slam dunk. Uh, afterwards, he was also put to, able to put down, um, another thing is he just had like a lot yeah. of like big beefy creatures. Uh, the Mirror Shell Crab, um, which he used the channel ability on. He had uh, Molten Monstrosity, which is a new one from DMU, costs X less. Right. It's like seven mana, I think. But it's a 5-5 five, five trample that costs X less for power. Yep, like yeah. the greatest power among creatures you control. So, you know, when Crackling Drake is huge, he played oh, it for like two probably,
1: minutes. probably, and the the other one, because that's a whole cycle. And the blue one is costs one less for each instant of sorcery. Polarian Terror,
0: yeah. Which, uh, spoiler <laughs> I saw in game two. Um, yeah, game two, uh, once again, kept seven. I will say, both of my hands, um, each game, I got to keep a full seven. Both my hands were, like, pretty good. My hand game one was honestly, like, super good. I just, I think the way the matchup worked out, it just wasn't great. Um, game two, still a good hand, but it was a bit more reactionary, which is hurts even more because uh, something I was noticing as I was continuing to get stomped through game two, I was like, I think I just need to be more pro-actionary and just start, like, trying to get him dead because he will have the inevitability with Crackling Drake um, and with the fact that he was consistently getting to 12 Mm -hmm. mana. Um, And one of the issues for game two was Gelectrode got up to costing nine, and I... Don't have that many lands in my deck, and I only got to ever, I only got ever got to seven mana. Uh, Speaking of which, he mana leaked my (laughs) Gelectrode on uh, five, which really sucked because I was waiting. I was like, okay, play Gelectrode for three, and then I had two different protection spells. Doesn't help, it gets a counterspell though. (laughs) Uh, I did get to Thunderbolt the Drake again, which was, uh, which was sick. Um, I actually had to do a little one, two Thunderbolt plus Gutshot because. Again, Opal Palace yeah. is a real problem. When you're casting, when you can cast Crackling Drake five times in a game and you have Opal Palace and I'm already having issues dealing with the fact that it has four toughness. Well, now when it has seven toughness. It's a bit,
1: that's too many resources, really. Yeah,
0: it, it came down uh, with five toughness right with the counter. And I go end step Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. And I have no mana left, right? No man, two, two mana Thunderbolt, no mana left. And we were playing on Cockatrice. The nun didn't have uh, voice chat, so we were, we were typing in the window. And he types, oops, question mark. And I was like, no, no, pay two life, gut shot. He was like, <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. So that I, I had I had my moments. But yeah, once again, even though he was uh, bricking on lands for, for a while during game two, um, just the fact that it was so difficult to deal with Crackling Drake, and then he hard cast mm-hmm. Mirror Shell Crab, which... <laughs> felt really bad that was that was actually the the final straw in the coffin was it has ward three and i was like i need to deal seven damage and yeah, pass ward three each spell I, I don't think three, i can yeah, uh, don't that's, think that's i can get rough. past that but um some of the huge takeaways for this was that this is basically just yep. a cpdh deck we were seeing a lot of similarities obviously cracking drake was uh was there the the transmute was crazy i saw fiery cannonade in both games which is a problem against a lot of my well, I only ever had Gelectrode out. That was another thing is I never drew mm-hmm. any of my other pingers, which was kind of a death knell for me because that's really how I get my damage in. Um, but yeah, he cleared uh, cleared Electrode several times, uh, Fiery Cannonade. Um, in one game, he had Fiery Cannon and Breath Weapon. Um, and then in game two, he Fiery Cannonaded and then he Wizard Cycled for Salvager of Secrets, <laughs> Return, Fiery Cannonade. And I was like, well, oh, that's, just, that's just disrespectful at this point. But yeah, Crackling Drake being an immovable threat uh, drawing a card and entry, and then all those other just kind of CPDH deck-building sensibilities was mm-hmm. was interesting. And and I'm wondering if maybe that's a, a way that I need to kind of start to metamorphose Gelectrode and not be so focused on like, oh, it's 1v1 and there's less life, so right. I just want to go as fast as possible. Maybe the sheer power of things that we're doing in something like a CPDH can translate.
1: Yeah. It'd be fun to explore the, the similarities between the two. I think it, it maybe it comes from a mindset of, you know electrode in the versions I know and I'm pretty sure the, the version you're playing is relatively one note and, and we discussed this as it was built which is like we're in 1v1 we can burn more effectively let's burn but kind of taking it from the other perspective of okay I might be facing different types of archetypes here I need weapons for both and so while the burn is very strong maybe a few more bounce spells would be something that would be worth including in those colors or counter spells or things that aren't direct damage still get you those untaps. Uh, still allow you to cause havoc, but aren't as directly focused on that singular goal.
0: I 100% agree. And this is something that uh, the nun was actually kind enough to kind of uh, hash out with me after we were done playing our game, just kind of chatting in Discord. Definitely, uh, counter spells and I think bounce spells are, are things that I, I need to kind of move towards because just being able to quote unquote stabilize the board or more permanently remove a threat is more important um, in terms of actually getting my opponent dead between things like thermo alchemist and right. electrode and that sort of damage i can get there i can definitely cut some of the burn spells that i was just considering as yeah uh, removal for bounce of counters yeah some of these more efficient uh, especially tempo. once
1: you're dealing with those larger creatures then even sending them back to hand on the turn they're going to attack makes them have to cast it again no attack and and untaps everything so you can still do that volley of direct damage. So it's it, it would be interesting to see a build that is more control based.
0: I'm excited to compile all my, my data and turn gel into an even more deadly threat.
1: <laughs> we'll have to make an episode about it.
0: But anyway, let's focus on happier things than me losing. <laughs> What's our deck of the week? It's your turn. What'd you bring? What'd you bring to the table?
1: Yeah, you know, it's 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 a problem because we've been doing this for this is our eighth episode. We're running out of good decks on the database, you know, there's there's only so much. So we really had to we had to, to scrape scrape the bottom of the barrel with this one. Uh, there's even a little bit of controversy we'll get into as well. But Julian, I think I think we gotta talk about Marsh Crocodile. What is that? A Yu-Gi-Oh card? I I think so. It's I, I don't even know what the set symbol is. It looks like a black hole. Um anyway, this deck actually showed up on the the database. I, as a member of the the database committee, I I have to I have to be honest here. It's actually a copy of the deck showed up at my house with a uh, a ransom note for members of my family if it didn't get included in the database so let's just say it was an expedited um procedure on this one this is marsh crocodile coming to us from it looks like slowpoke i'm not really sure uh about this one but it, it it's been in the database for for a hot minute it uses this thing that's kind of like a dinosaur i don't even know why it's why it's called a crocodile and i think it's doing dimir tokens Julian, is that is that what you're seeing from this list? You know, I'm I've played many a demir
0: in my time, and I don't uh, I don't think that's a viable strategy, demir tokens. Yeah, but um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you explain the deck first, and then we can yeah, we'll decide. We'll see what it's. Hey guys, what it's,
1: yeah. hey, how's, how's it going? Oh! Oh no! Hey, <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> Jules, oh my god! I thought uh, I thought this was a, a private recording. Whoa! No, <laughs> Julian, <no. laughs> we need to up our security. <laughs> nothing.
2: Nothing about this is private. It's uh, it's it's Elkidon. I was just I happened to be wandering past. I was in the neighborhood. I thought I I thought I'd drop by and see what you guys were up to. Uh, what, what are we talking about? What's going on? Uh,
1: uh you know, we're we're uh, we're just talking about um, Julian. What deck are we talking about? Uh, Marsh Dinosaur. Something Proc- that's sorry, not Mar- Marsh Dinosaur. Uh, yeah. are, are you familiar? Marsh Dinosaur.
2: Isn't that the Yu-Gi-Oh card? <laughs>
0: Yeah that's what I was saying.
2: I think I, I think I have heard of that one before.
0: Demier Tokens, right? Yes, that's a that's exactly what's yeah, going on. Yeah. Yeah. Have you have you played this deck before?
2: <laughs> it's a good thing that this is on the database because uh I think it's kind of terrible and like I'm not <laughs> sure not sure how it got on the database. I think there might have been some shady stuff going on. I'm glad it's there though. It's very pretty.
1: <laughs> well, not not the pretty version as the database committee we have to make the job as hard for everyone as possible and and in case you guys couldn't get the the bit by now, we have Alcadron on uh, to talk to us about his his baby, his pride and joy, Marsh Crocodile, particularly the wonderful version that he made exclusively for the database, uh, which comes in with none of the shiny cards he's worked over the last eleven years to uh, to put together. Zero shinies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will say it's a bit more it's a bit more uh budget friendly for those <laughs> who are trying to
1: enter the format, yeah. you know. <laughs> Alcadrone, would you mind walking us through, you know, what, what makes this deck tick?
2: Uh yeah, I'd love to. So in terms of the overview of the mechanics, um Marsh Crocodile is a four mana four four, which is kinda of beefy for Dimir mm-hmm. colors. Two generic a black and a blue for a four four, and it has two enter the battlefield abilities that seem like bad at first but are actually secretly <laughs> outstanding um the two abilities are when it comes into mm. play you have to return a blue or black creature you control to you your hand and when it comes into
0: play each player discards a card okay so not gonna lie you're start you're starting to lose me a bit but i <laughs> I, I i have faith in you as a deck builder so how are we uh how are we going to utilize these and even, even utilize these to our advantage and maybe mitigate some of these downsides? Because I'm seeing a lot of downside right now. When you read the card,
2: it looks like straight downside. And, like, honestly, in, in the Planar Chaos Plane plain Shift, in the Plane Shift pre-release this was yeah. a garbage card. Uh, not, <laughs> not very good. But um, both of these things that look like disadvantages are actually crazy powerful advantages that we're going to leverage for our own benefit. Um, we're going we're gonna to get a lot of value ...out of the bounce, the self-bounce, with a lot of ETB triggers. Things like Thalicose Seer. Of course, the first one I say isn't the ETB trigger. It's a leaves-the-battlefield trigger. But it's (laughs) a a real cheap creature that draws you cards when it leaves the battlefield. So you can bounce that for value. Mm -hmm. We're going to use a lot of Burglar Rats, a lot of Elder Fang Disciples, Liliana Spectres... ...to really damage hands. Uh, We're also going to leverage the discard effect for us... Like it. It. This seems like the kind of thing that would be better if it was like each opponent discards. Mm. But because you Mm. also get to discard, this is a this is a feature, not a bug, a privilege. (laughs) Because you get to discard, we're gonna take advantage of that with a lot of madness spells, a handful of flashback stuff, a couple unearth guys like uh, rotting rats, first sphere gargantua, just things that we want to be in our graveyard. We get to put them in our graveyard while damaging everyone else's hands and everyone else's plans, and grinding value out of this ETB bounce. It's just a very, very grindy control deck that attacks people's hands as much as it attacks board states and the stack. It just goes
0: for days. <laughs> I'm glad to see that you're playing um, the true form of magic as Garfield intended, a zero-sum game of fun.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
2: the history of this deck is uh, before I realized... I, I, I've i been in PDH since uh, 20. Well, 2013-ish. And this Mm -hmm. was one of the first decks I ever built. And I didn't realize that competitive PDH was a thing at all until about 2019 and i didn't realize it was a thing that i wanted to be a part of until about 2020 for the first like seven years of this deck's existence i had it put together and i realized that it was the no fun allowed deck and i just sort of hated it <laughs> like I, I never took it out I, like i recognized that it was powerful but i just never actually used it because i was like this is gonna ruin everyone's day and i don't want that
1: Right, it kind of violates the, the social contract of regular PDH. But luckily, there is there is a place for decks that try to bring as much pain as possible at as <laughs> high a speed as possible.
2: Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I, I retooled it for CPDH uh, about a year ago, and uh, it it has delivered. Uh, in the CPDH scene, it, it puts in work, it wins games. And it, it does so by making sure that no one else gets to play the game or have fun. So <laughs> yeah, Jules, Jules is spot on with that one. <laughs>
1: So I I noticed uh, you mentioned that there's a lot of you know controlling the game discard effects reusing our creature ETBs. What happens when you when you're trying to win the game? Does is it just Marsh Crocodile beat down? Are you just depriving of so many resources that no one has anything left to compete? Or is there a another strategy that you kind of employ when it gets to end game state? There's a
2: few different strategies. I I have won uh, a handful of games just by beating people to death with a crocodile. He's mm-hmm. uh, a four four. That uh, I mean, he grinds so hard that he makes sure that there's not a lot of blockers available, so that is one option. Uh, Mm -hmm. The more Mm -hmm. reliable option is that when you're really banking on this uh, Abuse the ETBs plan, cards with ETBs like Archaeomancer, Mnemonic Wall, Salvager of Secrets, Ah, those are just great cards in the deck (laughs) anyway. Like, outside of the Drake combo, they're great cards, and I would run them. Right. Drake is a great card outside of the Drake combo, because it's a free creature that I can bounce with the crocodile if I'm desperate. And uh, Ghostly Flicker, mm. in a deck full of ETBs, is a great card. So like all of these <laughs> cards, independently, would make the cut completely aside from the combo. But when you put them all in there at once, you do end up with the, the Drake Flicker combo. Uh, gotcha. I've closed out a handful of games that way. The alternative to that is just... You only have to bounce
1: Gary like two or three times to end the game. <laughs> like, <laughs> this really is a best of for Demir
2: <laughs> it, Yeah, it's uh, it's weirdly tight in the deck list. Like every time a new card comes out, I'm like, oh great, I can put that in Marsh Croc, and then I like. The act of cutting a card from this is agonizing because everything, it, it, it is a best of, it's got its mm-hmm. fingers in a lot of different pies and like, it's a very delicate balance of how all the different moving pieces right. work together and it's, yeah, you're, you're doing flicker stuff, you're doing hand control, you're doing board control, you're doing ninjas, you're doing gary stuff
0: yeah speaking of uh speaking of ninjas we're we're already working in demir which at least chev and i hold as kind of the the best of color in the format and Mm -hmm. like you said you're playing a lot of best of cards already but even even someone who's relatively new to the format i feel like would look at this list and say yeah obviously archaeomancer is great counterspell is great but there are a lot of sort of niche picks in this list uh namely a lot of those ninjas do you think you could give us a little walkthrough of that package as well because you're doing some cool stuff with that
2: I designed the deck to really take advantage of Marsh Crocodile's ETB bounce ability, which works mm-hmm. once. Like <laughs> after <laughs> right. you cast him, he's in play, and like if you want to get that ability again, you have to find a way to put the Marsh Croc in your hand, or you have to like let him die and then pay six for that your, your second Marsh Croc. And like it starts to become questionably valuable at six mana. So like you really just want a way to put him into your hand which makes cards like Curfew invaluable. Curfew is going to take away a resource from everyone else, and it's going to give a resource to you by mm-hmm. putting the croc back in your hand, or, or anything else. Like if you want to play the croc so that you can bounce a, a burglar rat, you could just bounce the burglar rat with the Curfew if you need to, which is the exact same plan that all of the ninjas are, are feeding into. The Marsh Croc is big enough that you can usually bully him through someone's defenses and get him unblocked. And then you say, surprise, it was actually Ninja of the Deep Hours. Now I'm getting cards. I'm making all of you discard again. And when I play the crocodile, I can bounce Ninja of the Deep Hours. (laughs) Like the cycle you can do with Marsh Crocodile into a ninja, into the crocodile, into the ninja is if, if you can sort of get someone off balance so that they don't have a good way to block a four four, then you can just sort of like ride that value train all the way
0: across the finish line. Yeah, and you're working with so many creatures that affect everyone that as soon as one person stumbles, now the whole table starts to stumble, right? Yeah, if you can if you can
2: sneak in the ninja for the marsh croc and then recast the marsh croc, bounce a burglar rat and recast the burglar rat, like now everyone's discarded two cards, three cards. <laughs> like, the discard spirals you can get into in this deck can, mm-hmm. if in the right draw, these things can just sort of compound themselves really severely. And one of my favorite parts about the discard plan is like, no one's going to counterspell the Burglar Rat. They're just going to discard the counterspell <laughs> and let everyone else go down with them, right? Mm-hmm. Like either way, it's a, yeah. it's, it's yeah. one card out of their hand, no matter what. It's usually better for them if they just let everyone else discard two people aren't going to put a lot of effort into stopping this discard plan.
1: Right. That political angle is, you know, something that you don't think about a lot, but makes a ton of sense in terms of, you know, why would I expend resources and everyone else can suffer with me? And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. this giant crocodile is getting happier and happier. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's the worst kind. Not only are you destroying everyone's resources, (laughs) but you're also pitting them against each other in like the most emotional sense. So I can't imagine many people are excited when Marsh Crocodile comes out. <laughs> he's
2: uh he's not well loved amongst my enemies. <laughs> That's a
1: very good way to describe a powerful deck. <laughs> yeah.
2: When I was only in the casual scene, I also sort of hated the Marsh Crocodile deck because I I wasn't a fan of these games where there was, you know crazy power imbalance or resource imbalance mm-hmm. i didn't like trying to create that but like the competitive scene i've found is extremely welcoming to this they're like they they see the power and like no
0: one no one gets mad about it they're like oh no. i respect that like that's yeah that's cleverly done well speaking of being clever and also and also discarding uh let's not forget that marsh crocodile makes sorry allows <laughs> gives us the pleasure mm-hmm. of discarding it as well and i see that you have a few ways that you're kind of uh getting cute with that and dodging that uh, negative card advantage. Do you think you could hit us with some of your, your favorites? Oh, absolutely.
2: Uh, my, my all-time favorite is probably Call to the Netherworld. That's the, the free madness mm-hmm. one. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Someone kills your burglar rats, you're like, that's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he'll be back. Uh, when I first built this deck, uh, it was every single legal blue and black madness card. And I, as I played it, I realized that a lot of them aren't great. The ones that are expensive kind of don't work alongside casting a four mana crocodile, or mm-hmm. if it dies a six mana crocodile. Like you're not going to cast a six mana crocodile and then madness your Iker slick for another four. That's not practical. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> a lot of those got cut when I shifted it from casual to competitive. I cut a lot of the creatures that were just bodies, stuff mm-hmm. like Weirded Vampire or the Gorgon. Having just a body yeah. isn't huge, especially if it's not instant speed. Uh, but the the cards that remain, there's like I think six or seven madness cards still in there, and they're the madness cards that have really cheap madness costs, and are really impactful for the game. So, uh, Call to the Netherworld is one of my favorites. Uh, Dark Withering is a powerhouse. I'm pretty sure Murderous Compulsion is still in there. Those are the the two great black removal spells. Uh, I got Nagging Thoughts and Obsessive Search are the card draw madness spells, which are incredible. And I think just the wind Mm. is the blue bounce spell. Um, So the madness is great. I also try to really use a lot of the flashback and unearth. So things like deep analysis. No one wants to pay four mana for deep analysis. Just pitch it into your graveyard (laughs) for two. That's the correct maneuver. One of my absolute favorites is actually uh, First Sphere Gargantua because the deck is already running Ghostly Flicker and Displace.
1: Ooh, so bring it in and then flicker it.
2: Yes. If you unearth the Gargantua and get your attack with your five power creature and your card off of it, you can then flicker it. Unearth is going to be like, wait, wait, wait. It should goes to exile instead, and Displace is like, calm down. That's exactly where I'm putting it. And then Displace will put it back into play because it's in exile, <laughs> yeah. right where it thought it would be. And so yeah. it's a kind of way to cheat this Unearth. Claws and just get the five-four back into play permanently, and a second card off of it. Uh, yeah, so the Unearth is a uh, straight powerhouse in this
0: deck with the Flicker stuff. Just break the rules and toy around with that. Yeah, for sure. I see you've also got a uh, Rotting Rats, which is the oh, yes. The the two mana one one Rat everyone discards, but this one of course has Unearth as well. Uh, that's probably my favorite Rat. <laughs> You have so many variations on the rat here, it's it it, it
2: hurts. It really hurts. That's so. the plan. Uh I used to be running the four mana two one burglar rat called Cackling Fiend from Urza's saga, but that was one of the most recent cards to
0: get cut. I think it mm-hmm. got cut for ah. Candle Keep Sage. Candle Keep Sage. Now that's a card that seems very intriguing and very snowball y when we have something like Marsh Croc as our commander. Did you know that Marsh Croc can bounce itself? <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to talk about Marsrock bouncing itself with a candlekeep sage in play? We're we're just chilling. We're like you know what four four mana draw two is already something that I'll play. Right, and now we're adding formats. a discard trigger. And you tell me I can just do it all the time. What about four mana draw two? Each other player discards a card, and then you can do that
2: over and over again. How's how's that? You've got me now. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Now no, I'm hooked. If you didn't yeah. before, um, <laughs> Julian's ho- home will always be in Demir. So you give him something mean to do. He'll he'll find a way to do it.
2: I have mean things to do. I have uh, I have such sights to show you.
1: So something else we'd like to call out on this, too, um, we, we've we kind of focused these last few weeks and these last few deck decks on combo decks and then how awesomely they're described in the primers. And there is, it, it's, it can be a little daunting at first, but the primer for the Marsh Crocodile deck is incredibly helpful for understanding the deck from, you know, the ground up. Like in preparing for this episode, Julian and I were, were starting to put together a question list of, you know, like things we wanted to ask. And then we realize just how in-depth the primer is. And it's like, oh, yep, like 99% of the thoughts you could have are answered. And it makes it incredibly helpful if you're just getting in or just getting started and you want something a little outside of what you see in a lot of gameplay videos that are produced about CPDH or more classic combos or classic commanders. Marsh Crocodile has a beautiful explanation as to what makes it so powerful and what every single card in the deck does. And that is something that is certainly worth pointing out.
2: Thank you. Uh, I I worked really hard on that primer by sending a really threatening message to Yalaron that I was going <laughs> to hurt his family unless he wrote the primer for me and then submitted it to the DDB. So Excellent. Uh, turns, out, turns out that works on Yalaron just as well as it works on the DDB judges. Yeah,
1: so, you know, we,
0: we, we like our boxes checked. <laughs> it's, a, it's a foolproof plan. I don't know. I'm usually the one who's gushing about primers and this is uh, potentially the prettiest primer that I've seen oh, thank you. in the history of this podcast. So yeah, I'm, I'm huge into it. And I think that Marsh Croc, it's not a combo deck, right? Or not? We, I guess we, d- you do have a combo in there, so it is something that you could quote unquote just pick up and play as a value pile. And I think if you're if you're attempting to enter CPDH, you would have enough wherewithal to kind of be like, okay, I see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But then the skill ceiling and the um the depths to which you can plumb through Marsh Crocodile are limitless. Yeah, it kind of grows with you as a player. And the primer helps with that. If you really want to take the time and get to know the deck, you can through that primer couple things there ryan common
2: connoisseurs papa popper he's been encouraging me lately to cut the combo from the deck just to make it less threatening so people will like aggro me less (laughs) Uh, and i've i've given that a lot of thought and i i think that it is the wrong maneuver just because like i said every single piece of the combo individually is a great card in the deck by itself so like i'm not even sure what i would cut like if if there was one card that was like this card is dead outside the combo yeah i would cut that and experiment with the non-combo version but there isn't one of those every single card is great so i think the combo definitely belongs in terms of skill ceiling yeah the the deck the deck has a lot of choices to make especially in because you are going to be discarding things you're not always going to have the madness or the flashback like you're not you're not always going to see the obvious discard so you're going to have to make tough calls and like the 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 really tough decisions to make are, when do you cast Delirium Skeins, when do you overload Mind Rake, to just absolutely annihilate everyone's hands, including your own, and like, can you, are you in a position where you say, alright, if if from now on, if no one had a hand, am I in the dominant board state, can I close this? Right this is my long-winded way of agreeing with everything that jules just said uh
0: if you are if, i'll take it
2: if you are entering the format marsh Crock will take good care of you uh, if you are looking to grow as a as a player you want to be challenged by difficult decisions to make within the game marsh Crock and i will absolutely offer you those decisions and you can assess as you play what's correct and what isn't and uh it's a it's a good time it's a learning experience for sure
1: so I, I think I have uh, one last question for you before I, I pass it back to, to Julian. So this comes based off a recent episode of the PDH pod. In the Staples episode, you guys were talking about, you know, obviously uh, in, in PDH versus CPDH, there's a different take on what, what Staples mean for a deck. But you kept bringing up the, the comparison to a Kev Walker <laughs> artist deck i have to ask is that because marsh crocodile is illustrated by the amazing kev walker
2: not originally um marsh crocodile being illustrated by kev walker is absolutely a bonus (laughs) if this card had other art it would be a worse card Um, Fantastic, and I love it. Uh, now, that I kept on mentioning Kev Walker because a, a real-life friend of mine named Brian uh, honestly did build a Kev Walker tribal deck where every single card was illustrated oh, by tribe, Kev Walker. Uh, his was EDH, and it used um, Shattergang Brothers. That's sort of like the default art <laughs> tribal deck uh, and i kev kev has such a distinctive art style too yes. because, like it's it's pretty easy to tell when you sit down and play against this deck and you're like why are you playing that oh now i'm starting to understand like you don't really have to explain that it's a kev walker deck as you go for yep. it so yeah that, that's that's why i was mentioning it in in the other podcast uh and i do love marsh croc's art but it, they were they're
0: unrelated uh, also if the listeners are listening and you haven't if somehow you're under a rock and you you don't know about the the PDH pod on the Staples uh that was an excellent episode i 100% agree and uh, it really got me thinking a lot about how i how i'm defining staples in you know something like CPDH where i think the way of thinking is just so different from when you're just chilling playing PDH with your friends so big shout out to that episode love that and i thought you all you guys brought a bunch of different excellent ways to kind of approach uh staples and kind of how you're putting staples in your deck
2: thank you so, so much
0: this is, this is not at all the, the beef
2: that I expected you guys to, to show up with when you threatened to bring beef into the PDH pod, I think.
1: Well, if, if you, if you oh, remember correctly, <laughs> we, we said we would have beef in the future, but we weren't sure what that beef would be yet. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. Julian said he would bring it, but then we need to do some planning. we got to go back to the drawing board. we got to okay. consult our, our editing team, uh, You know, figure out what actually we want to kind of lead the salvo with. Um, sure, sure. But it, it's in development. Okay.
2: I will, I will look forward to that with
0: great anticipation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> please,
0: please do. Please do. We're, really, we're trying to cook up something real special for you. I, I can't wait. It's going to be delicious beef. I'm ready. I think something that needs to be addressed, besides the fact that um, this is illustrated by Kev Walker, uh, you've had this deck, you said, since 2013, I believe. So we're, we're, we're getting close to a, a full decade of Marsh Crocodile wreaking havoc. Why the croc? We have so many we have so many uncommons in, in the format that you could have chosen as your commander and you chose Marsh Crocodile. Was there a singular thing that made you make that decision?
2: Uh yes. Uh the singular thing that made that made that decision in twenty thirteen is that I <laughs> am an egregious and unrepentant slut for madness. Mm. Uh, it mm. is far that'll do it. Yeah. It is far and away my favorite mechanic in everything. Uh, I wanted to build this deck that was just going to go hard on Madness, all the Madness cards. Uh, so I didn't realize at the time that Grixis Battlemage was a legal Grixis-colored commander. And so I wanted to do something within the Grixis-color pie, because that's where all the common Madness cards live. Right. And I, I found Marsh mm-hmm. Grock, and I was like, this is going to make me discard. It's going to make everyone discard. I can trigger my own Madness, and I can do silly things with ETBs. At the time, I didn't have any other ETB decks. I didn't have any flicker decks. This was literally like the Second or third deck I ever built. My my other one was Gilder Baron, and it was not doing tricky things. It was just doing large things. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to do tricky things with with Ninjas and Madness, and Mushrock was just the perfect venue for all of that to come together and build a d- oppressive deck that I hated for <laughs> seven years and didn't play. Uh,
0: we got there eventually though. I love it. Really, the final thing that I just want to address is you mentioned this and also the primer mentions it, is that there's not a lot of flex slots in the deck, really. And you have a sideboard of all sorts of things that you've been either testing out or you would like to put in. And one of the things that I noticed was uh, you have a couple cards from things like, uh, you know, Neon Dynasty and Baldur's Gate, but no cards from Dominaria United. And I was wondering, uh, did nothing make the cut? Uh, Have you just not gotten around to combing through all that? Um, What's kind of your process when you're when you're seeing these new cards come out? What's going to make something and include in something that's uh, as titleist as this?
2: Dominaria United. I did look at that one. I I looked at it pretty hard. The only card that I thought about was the blue card with the black kicker that does a divination, and then if you kick it, it makes people discard. The really bad siphon mind, whatever that's called. (laughs) It's got the
0: yeah, it's like
2: Phyrexian something. Yeah, it's got the cool looking bird on it. I thought really hard about it because it, it's doing most of the things the deck wants to do. It's generating card advantage, it's making your opponent's discard. And the, the the place I landed with that card is that if it was a creature, I would slam dunk it into this deck instantly. Because then I could use it for the ETBs, I could use it with the flickers, right. I could bounce it with the crocodile, uh, I could bounce it with the ninjas. Uh, that would slot much better into this deck. As as a one-off spell, couldn't justify five mana at sorcery speed for draw to make everyone else discard one siphon mind is really good at four mana draw three everyone else discards one and like i I just can't justify an extra mana for one card on it without without a body that i can abuse with etb things (laughs) um so that was the only card from domineer united that came close Neon Dynasty and Baldur's Gate gave us some really spectacular cards. Uh, finding a cut for CKS, like I said, was uh, or Candle Keep Sage was a challenge. I think my favorite card from Neon Dynasty was, um the ninja that bounces something
1: as an ETB. Oh, yes. Yeah, because a lot of them are combat damage triggers.
2: Right. The uh, the specialist. The specialist. The Moonsnare specialist. There we yes, go. Yeah. Moonsnare specialist. This card opens up some really bizarre play patterns. First of all, you can flicker it which doesn't work with the rest of the ninjas, but it works with this ninja, and that's cool. You can use it to bounce your own stuff if you desperately need a second ETB trigger with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can do silly tricks with, if you have this and another ninja, you can ninja this thing in, bounce a creature, ninja it back out for like a deep hours, let combat damage resolve, get your card draw off the deep hours and then before combat ends you can ninja the specialist back in to draw another or to bounce another creature that's nutty it's super nutty but like it's a thing that i really want this marsh crocodile deck to be able to play with that nuttiness and you you guys are gonna think i'm like absolutely bonkers i cut pestilence for (laughs) this
1: card (laughs) that is a bold take
2: yeah, I couldn't figure out what else to cut. Like everything else in the deck is sort of like, there's these ratios you have to maintain. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. cutting cards from this deck is is a, a massive headache. You're trying to, you have to maintain a critical mass of ETB cards so that like really cheap ETB creatures so that you can, you know, meaningfully cast and bounce the crocodile. You have to maintain critical mass of combo stuff and like tutors to get the combo, like your your wizard cycling and your transmuter guys uh like it's all this very delicate balance and if you start playing with it too much things will not work as elegantly as they ought to mm-hmm. and so like pestilence felt like the card that i could experiment with its absence
1: yeah yeah no, that makes a lot of sense it's it's very cool to see that you're you're still willing to experiment beyond like strict upgrades when it comes to a deck that you've been working on for so long where you're you're willing to kind of see like okay let's try out this slightly different package let's see how this works or a staple and remove it uh, to try something else. Because I think a lot of the time, something that affects decks that have been around long enough is you get into a state where you're thinking, it's perfect, I will only accept cards that are just inherently better on at least one axis. And so having that ability to experiment really helps uh, a deck continue to perform at the top of its caliber.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that for for all of my, having been in this format for nine years, I'm still very much... Uh, an an intermediate C P D H player. There's a lot about C P D H that I don't know and I don't fully appreciate and I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm still I'm still learning a lot about how the deck is gonna function in various different metas or various pods. I don't always make the right choices when I discard cards. <laughs> In terms of like experimenting and trying something completely new, uh, an idea that someone else, I, I wish I could take credit for this, but I, I can't. I think it was, it might have been Fintorn Brownie who was pointing this out to me. Uh, he said that I should experiment with the Dissension Eidolon, which are, I think they're each four mana 2 2s, which doesn't matter because you never ever cast them under any circumstances. But they have the ability when you cast a multicolored spell, you return them from your graveyard to your hand
1: oh yes
2: yep so he was yep. he was saying i should i should run these cards and then i should go much much harder on the enters the battlefield everyone discards a card spells because i will have more things to discard and then i can cast marsh croc and get them back and then discard them to marsh croc that would be kind of fun i'd like to see that version if i cut the combo it would be for that and i, I mm-hmm. do want to experiment with that moving forward uh that'll be that'll be a fun time It's possible that I already have enough. Everyone
1: discards stuff.
2: There's this sort of diminishing returns point at which you know, whenever hands are empty,
1: the discard is only (laughs) affecting you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, And
2: and even before everyone's hand is empty, like you get to this point where like you've made everyone's hands almost empty, and like Mm -hmm. no matter what the board state looks like, you are the arch villain and you are getting gang beat to death just because people are irritated. Like you have to be very careful to not cross that line. It's definitely worth experimenting with put these Eidolons to work and then get in more of these each player discard things like Sibzig icebreakers or Ear Splitting Rats. There's potential there and it's definitely something that I need to experiment with and, and tinker with. The deck is far from finished.
1: I mean hey if they got no resources they can be as mad as they want to but uh just can't do <laughs> right? anything about it.
0: Yeah yeah just a hell-bent turbo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that that about sums it up from uh, from our end. Alcadrón, thanks so much for for coming on and letting us um, butcher Marsh Crocodile for for a few <laughs> minutes before you jumped in there to to come to its rescue. Uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of have someone with who, who built the deck to to come on and really discuss like the inner workings, the magic behind it, and give it a, a much larger personality than uh, we might be able to otherwise. Thank
2: you guys so much for having me. It's been a delight to chat with you guys. Uh, I love Marsh Croc. I love your podcast. I love talking.
0: Let's do it again sometime. Definitely, Alcadron, Why don't you? Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you, what you're doing? Oh yeah. Uh, if they don't know that you're a member of the Pdh Pod yet, I I don't know where <laughs> they've been. But please give them your socials and all that other stuff. Uh,
2: tragically, my only meaningful social is uh, Discord, where where I'm Alcadron on the Pdh base. It's better that way. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm also on Reddit uh, for your sanity, the Pdh, uh, the Popper EDH subreddit, um, mm-hmm. and I'm on the Pdh Pod with Brad
1: and Liam. The, the second best PDH podcast out there. <laughs>
0: it's Silver medals. We take those. It's a close... It's a real close set. You know, it's a real close <laughs> It was neck and
1: neck for a while, but uh, we stole one of their, you know, um, commentators. So that puts us in the lead. I mean, the PDH pod doesn't have a Marsh Rock episode. So can't, <laughs> how close is it really? We're, we're sneaking in there to uh, bring what everyone else wants. We got to figure out what uh, what custom cards to make Liam. I know he's always wishing cards were in foil. You know, just pick us off one by one it's perfect it's the, f- it's the flawless plan perfect thanks so much for coming on alcadron uh, yeah. this is house of commons with uh, the hex drinkers and see you next time cheers
0: That Kedis was putting in a lot of work mm-hmm. and dealing a lot of, I wanna say that Kedis dealt like 14 damage through its uh, its auxiliary ability. Yeah. Auxiliary being the one that, people, why, why people use it. Uh, I'm gonna pull it up here so that I can actually read it <laughs> for the class. Um,